No, I just like money and nice things and taking people's livers. Hello and welcome to another socially distant episode of Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink alcohol and talk about things and stuff. I'm Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. (laughs) And welcome to the episode. On this episode, we are going to be talking about the book The Athena Protocol by Shamim Serif. But before we get into the book, we have some wine to talk about. So what has everyone got this week? Um, wine. Alex, when, well, yeah, I've got wine. Alex, why don't you go first? Um, so the wine I have chosen is called Nero da Avula. Avula? Sure. Yeah, I'll go for that. Which is a red wine... I don't know what grape this is, actually. It doesn't even tell me. It is red wine. <laughs> is um, Nero Davola not a grape? Is it? I thought that would be the title because it's in bold. It's a grape brand. Okay. <laughs> is it? Can... It's the most important red wine grape in Sicily, apparently. Oh, have mm. you just Googled that or is that factual knowledge that you know in your head? You know what? It's just a thing that I just know about the world. Oh. Uh, no, I Googled it. Well, it's spicy and full-bodied, apparently, from grapes grown in the Sicilian hills, 2019. And it says, bold flavours of dark cherries and a mocha finish. The vineyards surround the historic town of Menfi and benefit from the warm Mediterranean climate. Store in a cool, dark place. Um, (laughs) The reason I actually chose this wine, I felt that despite the beautiful weather and ridiculous heat, which is not suited to a red, I did feel that the book was suited more to a red. And also the fact that one of the tasting notes was mocha, Although it is not the hot drink of choice within the book, it is of the coffee family. And I felt that was kind of fitting to the story surrounding how she worms her way in into Polina's life. That worm. Very good. That worm. Solid. So that's yeah. why I chose good that, that wine. Sam, what about you? What about me? I have a wine from a collection that I know we've had in this podcast before, which is the 19 Crimes, which I got because this book is about a spy agency who take down bad guys and criminals. So I was like, yeah, crimes, that'll do, wouldn't it? (laughs) But this, like Alex's, is not a specific... Well, no, yours is a specific grape we've established. Mine is not. That's a lobster on the top. Um, (laughs) It's just... It's the 2020... And it does just say red wine. There is no grape for this. Descriptive. Yep. And the notes say, it's an Australian red. Um, an, ooh, I don't like this. A liquid ode to our past. Ooh. <laughs> 19 Crimes is inspired by those who, beginning in 1788, were transported to Australia for a life of hard labour. Many did not survive the journey. For the sea-beaten people who made it ashore, a new world awaited. Also, as this is about human trafficking... Uh, kind of work tangentially as pioneers in a harsh frontier colony they forged fresh pathways and built new lives from their checkered pasts brick by brick this wine honours the, the history they wrote and the culture they built it tells you nothing about the wine <laughs> doesn't tell you where to store it which apparently is important no it doesn't and then it likes to be like oh we're Australian and then it says bottled at Twickenham Road <laughs> <laughs> So that's my one. What have you got, Kim? Um, I went for the Clock Tower Pinot Noir, 
uh, Wine mm -hmm. of New Zealand from Marlborough, 2019. The reason I chose this one is I was thinking the the book opens with them in a sniper position, and there's quite a lot of scaling of buildings and being being parkoury and, and climbing things. And genuinely, that was it. I was like, oh, that's that's a high up place, clock tower. But like Alex, I was also thinking this was this was a red kind of book. Although obviously for me, what isn't a red kind of book? But yeah, I was going for something. It, it gave me that kind of travelling-y, tall buildings, scaling of things, Assassin's Creed kind of vibe. And then I read the description as well. Um, the style is described as subtle, supple, smooth and elegant. And it got me thinking about the kind of the way... Uh, some of the characters are, are described as very sort of like she was effort effortlessly elegant and all this sort of stuff. So it got me thinking about that. The full description. Okay, you can say you can say me. It's fine. Yeah, basically this this wine reminded me of you, Sam, and so I thought bring a little bit of you home. I prefer um, the term cock tower, but here we are. <laughs> so description is as follows: from the Wairu Valley, this classic Kiwi Pinot Noir is made by local expert Matthew Large. The grapes were sourced oh. from high-quality vineyards and blended to create a finely balanced wine that was matured in French oak to integrate the flavours and add subtle, spicy depths. Uh, the style is supple, smooth and elegant, tasting of wild berry and red cherries and pairs well with slow-cooked meats and cheeses. It is medium-bodied. It was uh, curated by M&S winemaker Belinda Kleinig. Also, both mine and your wine, Kim, don't know about your Sam, was made in 2019, the year the book was published. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Nothing like a really tenuous link, is there? <laughs> My, mine says 19 on the label. Okay, there we go. Made in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> now now so, we embarrassing ourselves, I think. Oh, why break the habit of a lifetime? <laughs> How's the wine? It's spicy. It's spicy. definitely spicy. Good That's spicy, it so far. Spicy. Spicy. I don't know. I don't know. Mostly just spicy. I think it will. I think it needs to breathe a little bit. What about you guys? Mm. Consulting the magic texts. <sighs> I have no strong feelings. That was a very long pause for a very pointless <laughs> comment. <laughs> I know. I might I have, have nothing to add. I've said anything. Just the, the pause and the sigh would have been more dramatic. Yeah, it's just tastes like generic red for something that apparently is a special grape. Special grape. Special grape. Mine tastes like just like immediate blackberries, which, you know, they're different to delayed blackberries, but I just drank it. I was like, ah, oh, blackberries. So, <laughs> very tart. Oh, I dislike the immediate blackberries, but the delayed blackberries, they give me life. <laughs> <laughs> they wake you up in the middle of the night with their blackberries <laughs> surprise so we've got blackberries spice and nothing <laughs> is this the new powerpuff girls well, i don't oh, want to be the nothing God. powerpuff girl that's the very dull one well you're gonna have to find some flavors then aren't you <laughs> Okay, well, I'll work hard throughout this podcast. Good. If you just shout out random foods, then we know what it's about. <laughs> should we talk some more about the... Well, should we talk we about the book? Oh, yeah, let's yeah. do that. Does anyone want to give a brief plot summary? I'm looking at you, Alex. So, the Athena Protocol named the Athena the team of elite female operatives. 
I think the reason they called it Athena, because not only is she the goddess of war, but she was also the goddess of wisdom and of something else. Uh, olives. I don't think that was part of their description. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is accurate. No, wisdom and justice and yeah. Uh, yes, and justice as well, which is why we find out why it's called the Athena. But essentially, it's a team of female operatives who fight to free and bring justice for women and children that the government may not uh, fight to uh, support otherwise. And it's run by, I believe, three older women called Kit, Peggy and Lee. And then there are three younger operatives who go out into the field and they are Jessie who is Kit's daughter, Halla who is I believe she was fleeing a war in Pakistan, is that correct? No the group the group was formed out of something that happened in Pakistan, she was from Syria I thought. Yes sorry so yeah. She was she was was a refugee via, via Syria. I think she had fled to Syria and then fled from Syria to the UK. So she might have started off in Pakistan. Has backstory with Jesse through the fact that Jesse was the one that was kind of sent to um, interrogate her and ended up kind of fighting her corner and gave her a job, essentially. Um, and then lastly, I believe the last female operative is... Caitlin. Caitlin. I knew it was the beginning with C. Who I don't, I don't think I get much of her backstory. Does she have a backstory? She's from... Texas, I think. That's about all I can remember. Is she the one that's quite she's well ex-milit- She's the one that went to Iraq. She was ex-military and she went to Iraq and she has PTSD. Yes. Um, and there's also some other women and a man that work for Athena. One, So the man is Thomas and the tech wizard is called Amber. And it's very much a kind of uh, set in more of a kind of James Bond 007 world where there's some gadgets that, as far as I know, do not exist like zooming in contact lenses, which I thought were very cool, and like robot gloves that seem to operate PowerPoint presentations for all your learning about criminal needs. And they are, we start off with this team and they go on a mission and Jessie makes a terrible mistake or she makes an error in shooting or getting angry and too caught up with her emotions and shooting the person that is committing all these awful crimes to women, or at least is the gang leader within that. And so therefore, we find out that Jessie has been told to leave Athena, something that is her whole life, something that she didn't realise was so kind of important to her as a family, and therefore goes on a bit of a rogue mission ends up saving the day, kind of falls in love slightly. We then, oh my gosh, find out that her love interest is actually in on it the whole time and various other things happen. End in the bathroom. Of course we do because it's all women. There's tears. We find our family. Yay. The end. (laughs) I enjoyed that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll narrate all books for you in the future. I also hadn't picked up on the bathroom thing at the end. That's a good point. (laughs) Where can we have feelings safely? In a bathroom? I know. I did think that was a bit cliche. Yes. Good point. Good summary. Good plot summary. Anything that we want to add, Sam? Only that this rogue mission that she goes on is one that Athena are also operating on and she was supposed to operate on. And in the course of her pissing off and doing it on her own, the other operatives that she used to work with, Halla and Caitlin, are basically told to take her down 
as part of that as well. That was the only other thing I had to add. And that it's in Serbia. Yes, right. So what were your first impressions? Because I chose this book for us to do because I'd read it earlier in the year and I thought it was a good idea for us to do something thrillery and spy-y because we've not done something like that before on Grape Culture. What, yeah, what were your impressions of it based on what I told you and what was actually delivered? Yeah, when you told us about it, I was really intrigued and quite interested because I really love crime books and TV shows and I love mysteries, but like spy stuff and thrillers and shoot 'em ups and action is not really my jam. Like I um I'm not that into like the classic what you would think of like James Bond or anything like that. But then I have noticed an uptick over the recent years of of female-led spy films. And I actually think Spy with Melissa McCarthy, which is a comedy film, is one of the best films. And so I was really intrigued to like read a female-led spy thing, especially that it was a YA book. That's this is published by Harper Teen. Because I was sort of hopeful that it would do it in a um in a way that made me that got me into the genre. Um, especially because the only other sort of serious example of female-led spy stuff is there's a lot of like Red Sparrow and Black Widow and they're all very harsh almost and so I was kind of intrigued to see like it being a being a teenager being someone younger um me not knowing anything about it I was really intrigued um and then the premise obviously which trigger warning covers human trafficking I thought would be quite thought-provoking and I it it was all of those things it was thought-provoking it was it was fast-paced it was interesting I did enjoy it did it change my opinion on the genre and make me suddenly into a spy thriller obsessive no but I did I did really enjoy it and I didn't feel as I was prepared to feel skeptical and underwhelmed and I was neither of those things as I was reading through it. I was like genuinely pleased and impressed by um, the the plotting, the character development, the setting, the writing. All of it was was very entertaining. So first impressions were generally quite good. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I chose like when I first bought this book. Um, this is one that's been sat on my tbr pile for a while and then i read it in january i picked it because i wanted to read i don't really read spy thrillers either and this is a book that's highlighted as for its inclusivity as well and diversity and um it's written by a woman of uh south asian and south african um heritage and she's in a queer relationship and her all of her protagonists or most of her protagonists and what she writes are it's generally queer love or cross-racial relationships as well and I thought it would be an interesting perspective other than my own so that's why I picked it and yeah I I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it I thought it was going to be quite I don't know spy cheesy and it does have some cheesy spy moments in it but it also manages to avoid it avoids a lot of the traps that I feel things like Bond fall into where just nothing is really explained properly and then you're like ah now he is riding the back of a shark on a jet ski ah yes that's totally normal you can tell I'm really good at Bond Um, so I thought I thought it surprised me because it wasn't what I expected and I did really like the fact that there were these different relationship dynamics in it and I really liked that all the the women are all treated differently and given different backgrounds, different different perspectives on the work they were doing. I thought that was good. And also I just yeah. thought Thomas was really funny because he seemed like a prissy little bitch. <laughs> and he was in it for like two seconds as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree, especially your point about the, the women in the backgrounds. Like they all had space to be 
individual characters they felt well fleshed out and they felt we've talked before about we've read books where it's like spin the diversity roulette wheel and how it feels forced in a way that it wouldn't be forced in real life but you can tell that the author is uncomfortable and is trying to shoehorn something in which is different to including a very you know a a range of diverse characters this is very clearly someone who is writing authentically and sees the world in the way that it should be seen and therefore is able to translate that over to the page which really really comes across or if not then they have a really good you know like team around them that is helping them do that it didn't feel like like charlie's angels kind of vibes either like there's the sassy one and there's the feisty one and there's all of this like all of the main operatives and the founders of athena had elements of each of those characters so it didn't yeah. feel there was no stereotyping which is no. a big part of it i felt alex what did you think about the book your impressions versus what the reality got served? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i didn't have many preconceptions about this book apart from what you mentioned to us at the pub that one time when we were finally allowed to sit in beer gardens and we took full advantage and when you first described it it sounded really exciting. I think it was it was a light read, but with slightly more depth, if that makes sense. You know, it was easy reading. There was nothing too complex. There was no majorly complex storylines or plot twists or anything. But obviously it was talking about quite deep issues and things that could be happening in the world and you hope are not. And so... I, much like this wine, absorbed it readily. Was that a red wine pun? Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. (laughs) Amazing. No, I loved it. I thought it it was a good read. It's not groundbreaking, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think what you're saying about it being light but more in depth is that what makes it a YA book, or part of what makes it a YA book, apart from having a young protagonist, but... Yeah, good. So favourable impressions to start with. Was there anything in particular that you found jarring or strange or didn't like about this book? I didn't... It wasn't like enough to take me out of it or anything. Um, But I did find myself not warming to our protagonist, Jessie. Finding her kind of frustrating and just maybe I maybe I'm just old, but I was like, you're such a teenager. Like you're so you think you know everything. You think you're you're right. Your everything is such a wound, and everything is so directed at you, and you're so self assured and yet so not. And um. And some of that, you know, like part of that was really brilliant and really played into what made the character so brilliant. But every so often I was just like, you are learning nothing, you spoiled brat, which was frustrating. But you don't have to always like the main character. Why is Jesse the one that we're following in this story out of all the other characters that we could be following? But at the same time, maybe because she is a brat and has something to learn, uh, then maybe she's the one who has an arc. But then I was just a bit like, does she learn anything? So I found I found her quite frustrating as a character, but that didn't massively impact my enjoyment of the book. It did at times, but I think it could just as easily be something that really makes this book for someone, like that she is so like 
prickly and frustrating because that makes it a really good arc and a really interesting and probably quite relatable character to a lot of people and it's well done. I think she's intentionally doing that to make this character frustrating. Yeah, I agree that Jessie was not she was not a particularly likable protagonist like un- until it progressed and she did some, you know, honorable things but also that were very fucking stupid and you were like you're a fool. But she thinks she you, knows everything. She, you kind of yeah. And at the end you're kind of like, you know, the the bit in the in the operating theatre, you're kind of I couldn't tell if I was rooting for her because she'd grown on me or rooting for her because I was like, maybe don't rip this woman's organs out. Like Yeah, yeah. You know? It was it was such an extreme situation and it was hard to understand why like what the actual drive was behind wanting this character to beat the bad guy, you know? I think she was possibly the weakest character, and I think also it was quite slow to start. I don't, I don't know what you guys thought about the intro with the scene in I can't remember where it was, but where Jesse shoots that like warlord guy. I Cameroon, I think. Yes, I just found that scene. I didn't think we had to see that scene. Like I didn't think it had as much impact as maybe it could have done. Like we could have jumped straight into the rest of the story. Like. She's being disciplined and you don't know why rather than having to show that. Do you know? Yeah. I do do think there was quite a lot of, um, I don't know, like sometimes I would jump ahead because some bits I was like, this is not important or relevant. And then when I would sometimes do that, like even just a couple of lines, something massive happened in the space of like three words. And it's like, what? Like (laughs) It was like the choice to overly describe some bits and under describe others. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the reason that that scene existed was less about showing us why she was being disciplined and more showing us however briefly that she she has a connection and knows these these other women in this group because otherwise i feel like if you don't well maybe you could um give that background but i felt a little bit like it added to the reason why both both caitlin and halla for their own reasons like don't totally line up behind their superiors in the whole let's capture jesse and bring her in thing like they both at different points make decisions that allow allow jesse to continue to go rogue and i like it kind of was like well maybe that's why i also wondered if it was fleshing out a little bit of the um complicated relationship between halla and jesse in particular because that seems to be like for me be the kind of reader that i am uh, in a in a character driven way like that seemed to be the real story like the relationship between jesse and halla how how what jesse does in this opening scene affects halla and their and jesse's relationship and how wrestling between that like that conflict throughout the book is difficult for both halla and jesse and how it changes both their perspectives of each other and things like was a big part of it for me so um i wondered whether that was maybe to set that up but i agree that it wasn't Hmm. It wasn't perfectly executed. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a little bit. <laughs> um, it was a little bit clunky. But I also think it might have been to show brutality on the page, let you know early on what kind of book you're reading. Yeah, I think also like in terms of setting up that almost James Bond esque feel, which is what I think they kind of were going for. You always open with an action scene, don't you? It's like, bam, we're here. Yeah. This is who these people are. This is, you know, their relationship to each other. They've got each other's back. Wait, shit's hit the fan. So, but then, yeah, I feel like that could have been done 
I think it would have made the book longer, granted, but I feel like you could have opened with an action scene that would have shown more of that would have shown that bond between them and that this was a spy thing. And then had the incident where Jesse shoots the guy further into the book and it would have made you have a bit more of a reaction to it because when it starts you're like, I don't know this character. I don't know you know, she could Why just, should I like yeah, that I just feel, moment, yeah. Why should I yeah, that's true. Why have should an you extreme care emotional reaction to this person I've just met? Like, why am I loyal to yeah. this character? Like, and that's yeah. the thing. And that's I think that's why I found her so like bratty because I was like, I you haven't done anything so far that shows me why you are valuable in this scenario that you didn't just like. <laughs> what is your like? E- uh, at the moment, I'm on everyone else's side, and maybe it's the HR in me. But bitch, you break the rules, you get fired. I have a fun thing to tell you, which is that I looked it up, and um, zoom in contact lenses were invented in 2019. What? Yeah, yeah, and they if you blink twice, it zooms in. Found an article, and it was. They were invented by the scientists at the University of California, San Diego, created a contact lens controlled by eye movements that can zoom in if you blink twice. They measured electrocolographic signals generated when eyes make specific movements up, down, left, right, blink, double blink, and create a soft biometric lens that responds directly to those electric impulses. The lens created was able to change its focal length depending on signals generated. Therefore, the lens could literally zoom in at the blink of an eye. Incredibly, the lens works regardless of whether the user can see or not. It's not about the sight, but the electricity produced by specific movements. So it could help someone that doesn't have sight to see. Yeah, could be used in visual prostheses, adjustable glasses and remotely operated robotics in the future. So, yeah. That blows my mind. That I mean, obviously they're not, my mind. They're not um, widely available, but I wonder whether that the invention of that was um, put in sort of last minute or whether she knew that they were they were happening or not because it was invented this the article that i read about it is from 2019 which is uh mad is it life imitating art or the other way around who knows it Apparently, did feel like oh it was kind of like an add-on in the book actually mm. which does make me wonder then whether quite a lot of the other tech was was based in reality or whether um whether they just got lucky which uh yeah i think a fact check of the tech would be really interesting to see what exists but the way it was talked about i thought was (laughs) i thought it was quite i thought it was quite convincing like you know how in some like sci-fi novels or spy novels or whatever when they talk about some magical bit of tech you're like i don't that doesn't make any sense i don't understand that whereas this actually i was like i could believe that those are real things and in this case yeah yeah but the fact that they don't go into great detail about it, it's just kind of like, um, well, of course I used my contact lenses. When there's like new tech that's introduced in spy novels and TV and film, there's so much like description about it because it's like, yeah. look, we invented this cool thing that doesn't really exist. Oh, like, like the Black Panther scene where it's like, we have this and we have this. And yeah, it's like completely milking it because the writers are like, we are so clever. <laughs> <laughs> look at this magical suit it's also a toothbrush yeah um, <laughs> why you would have a suit that's a toothbrush i don't know well i mean she had an audio transmitter or receiver or something that was a tampon which i was like yes of course you would this is genius i mean didn't fair, it, it first i was like <laughs> of course it's a tampon but then i was like in terms of like cliche but then i was like smart because no one's gonna check that agreed agreed truth 
there was an element of like you do have to suspend belief in some disbelief in some places because you were like, mm, did you really park over parkour over that like nineteen foot wall? Yeah, there was a lot of suspension of disbelief, um, especially with like timing and timing and badassery and like, oh, I've been bashed against the wall, but I'm somehow still completely fine, which I always find irritating. Yeah, and and yet on the, on the flip side. I kind of felt like the uh, the big twist around Paulina, which, you know, for listeners, spoilers, spoilers will happen, uh, is that she's the bad guy all along. I was like, yeah, no, duh. Like, obviously. the f- Like, it just didn't seem... And Alex, Alex, what's his name? Alex? Alex. I think it's just Alex, but spelled differently. With a K. Yeah, yeah I was like, <laughs> well, obviously. I mean, to be fair, Alex- I did think... I did think Peggy was in on it, and she wasn't, so... I didn't think Peggy was in on it, but I was like, yeah, no, obviously Alex is is not going to be all that he's cracked up to be, because everyone's corrupt, and you've been going on about how everyone's corrupt, and there's not a single redeemable character in this, and then... But I was a bit like, oh, of course the beautiful, problematic, super rich, overly friendly daughter of a fucking human trafficker is also kind of a dick, like... I was a bit like, are you dumb? But are you dumb though? And then that, but then that's my thing. I was like, well, yeah, she is. She's like, what, 18 or something? Like, of course she's a little bit dumb. We're all a little bit dumb. She's definitely not 21, I think. No, they say, she says, I'm 21. I thought she said she's not 21. Something I read said that she was a teenager. She is between the ages of 18 and 21. (laughs) Either way, still a bebe. She's not a girl. She's not yet a woman. As much as we get backstory about these characters, we don't get too much that kind of allows us to connect with them. And so therefore, as much as it's dramatic and I'm like, I'm here for the ride, I wouldn't care if any of them died. I mean, actually, I cared more if what's her name, Dana, in the hospital that gave a really fucking good fight at not getting her organs stolen. I would care more about her dying. Dasher. Dasher. And maybe the landlord. Like, I'd care if he died. I, well, I, I would you, because I yeah. feel like, I don't He's know. Like, like, you want gun? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. he gets from his, like, child's, his daughter's bedroom. bedroom. <laughs> so, but yes, I, but I think there's just so much that you can get across in 300 pages or whatever. And actually, I preferred that it was shorter. So, you know, it's not quite a criticism. It's just more like it's surface level. Like you say, 300 pages is not a lot of space. But I do feel like a shit ton happened in 300 pages. They might not have gone into character so much, but yeah, a lot of plot. So we've talked a bit about how Jessie is perhaps not the most likeable protagonist out there. Um, Are there any other characters that you did particularly like, or conversely, any that you were like, I fucking hate this person uh, for reasons beyond the fact that they are the bad man. The bad man? The bad... (laughs) I don't know why I said it like that. The baddie. Let's go with that. Um, I like I just mentioned, I quite enjoyed the landlord because he was such a cliche landlord. Like out of everyone, he is the one I could visualize the most. An overweight man in a vest with like dark hairy chest and like a little bit of builder's bum and yeah. slightly sweaty, but quite like, friendly. Patchy <laughs> stubble. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. could just visualise him so much more than any of the other characters. 
know. I, like I said, my downfall of it was that I didn't have any massively strong feelings towards any of them. So I don't think there were any that I particularly loathed and any that I particularly loved. I did find Kit an interesting character. I thought it was a really quite left field choice to be like, oh, and here's the mum that's next pop star. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that, that was okay. unexpected. But I suppose it was trying to give Jessie this disconnect to her mum and her like anger towards her of being left alone all those years and their relationship now. But yeah, it was just it was an unexpected choice that I quite enjoyed. And I did quite enjoy the concert at the end where Jessie's like, oh, actually, she's amazing. Like it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, when you see those films where they um, randomly have a pop star that then sings a whole set and you're like, you're just promoting your album. Like, why are you even acting in this? This is weird. And so it kind of reminded now, me of like see ya, weird for no good. Reason. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like weird placement, like in a book of a imaginary pop star. So it's just I really enjoyed Kit as well. Like I, I when when you asked the question, Sam, I was thinking about Kit because I thought that that was a really interesting. Like you say, it's an interesting choice. I thought it was really believable. She came really like to life for me. It gave an interesting dynamic and like. I think last year or the year before I read Daisy Jones and the Six and it was kind of giving me like grown up Daisy Jones vibes, which like just this very, it was a really, really recognisable person, the, the sort of faded pop star who's still, who's still brilliant and still beautiful, but has like completely uh, gone away from public life and is now dedicated to uh good works and stuff and i was like no that's a really believable character but also it, it gave like you say it gave a really interesting dynamic with jesse and i also thought this this pop concert for a you know for a human trafficker was like a, an interesting conundrum because it was almost like no one had thought about twitter but they obviously had and i was and there have been con controversies around that in the last couple of years that I remember reading about of people doing things like that so I was like this is a really interesting choice because that is going to come back to bite them in the ass and I wondered whether that's why they did it and I and it made me find Kit so much more interesting because I was like there's no way that she hasn't thought about that there's no way that that hasn't crossed her mind because it's literally her profession to think about how she is viewed and so then I was like well that's and like she's the most high profile of any of these people um, and so I was like, oh, that's that's a really interesting choice. So it made I found her very complex and very interesting. I I could see her in a in a show. I could see what she was wearing. Other than Kit, I was intrigued by Halla in particular. I felt like there was just more to this story than than was being shown. And I was like, I wonder whether this is like going to be a series and is going to be like her story next or something along those lines and focus more on her because I was thinking that it's that she probably has the most interesting story. Like, in my opinion, it seemed like she she probably had the most and I what I mean by that I guess is the, the story that I am least likely to have seen already. And so I was I was very intrigued by her. And then the whole parkour thing, which I was just like, why though? Why though? But I'm here for it. Like, this is very strange. But the, the idea of someone scaling onto the roof of their council flat, just to like sit and have a tub of hummus. And I was like, yeah, all right, go for it. You do you. Parkour. Parkour. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Actually, talking about hummus, <laughs> one of Alex has entered the conversation. Sorry. <laughs> hummus. Um, hummus. But one of the kind of saddest moments, or or the thing that I kind of was like, oh, that's quite beautifully illustrated, was when she said that she Haller was. So when Jessie visits her and Halla's eating hummus and something else just to kind of find some kind of connection to home with like yeah. cheap like Tesco value hummus basically that's probably nothing like what she would have made or eaten. And yeah. there was something quite, I really saw that and Boy, it was one, yeah. of, one of the only moments that I was like, Gosh, that yeah. was a really it was it was such a throwaway sentence and it really stood out for me as well it was so significant and I've been thinking a lot about I've read a few narratives around and articles around like things like the Windrush generation and and, and immigration in the UK so I don't know whether I was particularly poised to like notice that or whether it was just really brilliantly done but it was such a like it was such a poignant really tiny detail that that that's that that made her a more fully fleshed out character that made this whole book more thoughtful and I think it goes back to Sam what you and I were saying at the beginning where the the diversity was natural and well placed and well considered and as it should be not shoehorned in because I felt like if it was shoehorned in you wouldn't get a detail like that you wouldn't get a sympathetic detail like that um so I, I agree like that was a really weird that we would pick up on the tight that, that tiny moment there are a lot of characters here that i would like to have their own standalone book like this could be an entire series with each character's focus because i think a lot of them have interesting backstories and one that stood out for me was lee as well because mm. her like the way she founded the company and then the, the background that she came from and what she experienced early in her life that i would like to read a bit more about um i like lee i liked peggy but like I think, Alex, I think it was you that said you thought Peggy was going to be bad as well. She seemed too nice for it to be real. Yeah. You were like, nah, she's going to be a dick, isn't she? But then she was actually just really nice. Having said, oh, it didn't rely on tropes. It wasn't Charlie's Angels. I was missing some sarcastic, you know, like biting. Like this is what this was missing for me as well. Like I, I wanted someone to occasionally drop something witty and dry. And there wasn't really any mm. of that. I didn't get that from any of the characters. Um, I think that's what Jessie thought she was doing, but she just fucking wasn't. Yeah. She just sounded whiny, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought they were interesting. I did think Paulina started off really, like she could have been really interesting. And then, I don't know, when it came out that she was the, no, I just like money and nice things and taking people's livers. Like, I, it. after that, I was like, oh, you've kind of, like, you know, you did see it coming that she was the bad guy. But yeah, I don't know, just kind of let it down. So there's a few characters that I think were kind of dead-ended in some of the plots. But um, there were also some that were, that were really good. So it's time for us to take our customary grape culture break, fill up our glasses, and of course, have a wee. So we'll be back in a few seconds' time to carry on talking about the Athena Protocol. So we're back from our break to talk some more about the Athena Protocol. But before we do that, how is everybody finding the wine? Much like the book, pretty surface, okay, going down, not much depth. You're comparison of the book has declined in the last hour and a half well no because i i said i enjoyed the book i'm reasonably enjoying this wine i just don't have much to say about it does it still taste of nothing it tastes of red wine 
<laughs> and Kim, how is your clock tower? <laughs> it's all right. I do feel like that I am not doing this wine justice. I think that this wine on any other night I'd really enjoy and it would probably pair well with a more sultry sort of moody book. I think this wine is, um, it's medium body, but it's quite complex. It's quite fruity and it maybe doesn't pair so well with the book, but also we've already talked about sort of off mic. It's quite a muggy night it's not really a red wine weather. And although I'm I'm red wine in all weathers, I do choose my red wine for summer quite well, quite carefully. And I'm not 100% enjoying the wine, but I think I do think that's to do with the weather. It's a bit cloying. The wine itself is quite nice. So I'm giving it like middle reviews, but it definitely doesn't pair well with the book. That is a shame. Mm. So we've got meh, cloying, and... Um, <laughs> Confused. <laughs> an attack of the... Blackberries. Uh, mine is still like like a crumble in a bottle. <laughs> Immediate blackberries, but without the crust. Yeah, it's it's not bad considering it is of an indeterminate grape. So back onto the Athena Protocol. In case you haven't picked up, this is a spy novel, or it is a novel about an independent spy agency. There are various other franchises, novels, uh, TV shows about this kind of situation in a way that is distinct. I mean, do you think this book has done anything differently to other spy novels or movies or shows that you have watched? And because it is typically quite a male-dominated genre when you think of Bond and the Bourne identity and Archer, which is interesting considering her name is Jessie Archer. How do you think this fits and how does it carve its niche, if indeed it does? I think Kim touched on the film Spy earlier, which is a comedy the only kind of female-led within this genre, within the film industry that I have seen, have been more in the kind of comedy genre and like a parody of the James Bond, you know, like much like, and I think Ghostbusters isn't necessarily the same thing, but redoing Ghostbusters as a female version, it almost kind of felt a little bit like that. It's not taking itself too seriously sometimes. Quite tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, but almost lacking the comedy. Not that, to be honest, the Ghostbusters female-led film wasn't actually that funny. But like Sam said, I like really earlier, oh, okay, well, but like Sam said, it, it, you know, it's kind of lacking that kind of sarcastic quality that we sometimes get from female-led uh, voices within a novel, especially British. You know, that's usually very sarcastic and deadpan. And especially something that is set within something so dark, like you would expect that outlook from a character. You feel like that might be their outlook on life. So I'm not 100% that I would have a very well-rounded opinion about where it sits within this genre, purely because I haven't read many that are similar to it. I don't disagree with Alex in a way, like, I haven't read a lot of spy novels. I haven't watched a lot of spy films. It's not, re- as I mentioned earlier, it's not really my thing. But that doesn't mean that I'm not aware of, like, the cultural area of spy thrillers and things like that. And I don't, while I don't think that this book is doing anything revolutionary, I do think that it does it quite well and in a really accessible way, which I can't think of many other examples that do without being out-and-out comedy. Like, I think the fact that it is serious you know, like, in the sense that it is in earnest, supposed to be telling, it's supposed to be a thriller, it's not supposed to be a comedy, without being death, death, shoot 'em up, 
trauma, 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 everything is terrible. Also, probably I was an orphan and adopted into a secret spy ring, which is my understanding of every other female-led spy film with Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett Johansson and whatever. Like, I don't know if that's true, but that's what the trailers lead me to suggest. But it's not walking any lines that Kim Possible didn't walk, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Kim Possible walked so that the Athena Protocol could run. I think that it's it's a problem that our go-to thoughts about female-led spy films and or novels are either comedy or psychopaths. Yeah. Sociopaths. Sociopaths. Sorry. I think I mean sociopaths. One of one of the not good paths. I'm not a psychologist, sorry. Um, but yeah, paths. <laughs> In summary. What about you, Sam? I think all of us have come into this episode basically going, sometimes we have seen spy things, but we're not active imbibers of the of the genre and I'm the same. We're like, not spies. We're not- <laughs> no we prove otherwise. Well, exactly. I, Could you? I don't think we'd have a podcast voicing our opinions mm. under alcohol. <laughs> oh, no, Alex, you're, you're not very active on, you know, the group chat. You could be off spying somewhere. So <laughs> that is what I'm doing. Not, you know, I knew it. Eating. <laughs> Spies need to eat. But yeah, it's it's a genre that I don't know very well. I'm not even particularly up on Bond, really. I don't find them having picked a spy book. I don't find spy things interesting for the most part. And I think it's because it's what I have seen. It's very hero centric it's very about that one agent who does this one thing and i appreciate that the athena protocol is one agent's like side of the story and her going rogue but at no point do i feel like that is detrimental to the development of the other characters and the development of the other relationships if that makes any sense so it felt she felt more intertwined than than perhaps uh, some other protagonists that i've seen in this kind of thing yeah she never felt like the most important person on that team she might be the person telling the story and might be the most person, important person in her own mind, but the team always felt like there was a team there and they all needed each other. And she even says, like, I wish I was like Haller and could scale that wall, but I can't, so I'm mm. fucked. It's yeah. like you saying, Kim, about sociopaths. Like, I do feel like sometimes these novels and films and stuff of the genre are women that cannot connect to other women or men that just want to you know, go and be their own boss. A lot of them are about personal glory. And even if that is secret glory because spies, it's, yeah, it's sort of about prestige and proving they're the best and that side of things. This didn't feel like she was trying to prove that she was the best. It felt like she was trying to prove that she was worthy of being part of that team, which felt slightly different. Also that she wanted to solve the problem. Like, yeah. Exactly. Her motivation the entire time the was, I need to get this person, like, this person needs to be caught and these yeah. people need to be safe. Exactly. And, yeah, the fact that it did seem to be... The fact that she did seem to care, as much as she didn't like her, she did care about these people, she cared about what was going on, which is not something I've seen in a lot of other shows, books. Not that I've read many spy books. If any, I can't recall any. The nearest thing I can get is Artemis Fowl. Um, Uh (laughs) The other thing that this book has been compared to is Killing Eve, and I don't know if either of you have seen that, because I've not. I absolutely love Killing Eve. There is far more depth in Killing Eve. I will um, say. But it, there were elements that did remind me because Killing Eve, the main protagonist, is represented as quite a brat and is seeking her family. 
Like she needs to find her tribe and she feels like she doesn't belong anywhere. The writing is much more clever, but in terms of those elements, I do get it. Yeah, the brattish nature of understanding a teenager just trying to be like, fuck you all, I'm so strong. And they've said about the relationship between the main character and and the villain, whose name I can't remember in Killing Eve is like a similar version no this is like a light version of that is what they said i mean the fact that it's like a gay relation well it's not even relationship but like attraction so it must be the same right <laughs> but yeah i guess it that's the point is that there are so there are so few comparisons that we can draw to as you said female spy uh, content that is not a comedy after racking my brain to figure out whether I'd read any spy books, I can think of precisely one, which is The Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad, which involves bombs <laughs> on the tube. That's the only one I can think of reading, and I was forced yeah. to read it. Isn't that interesting, though, that none of us have picked up a spy book except one? And but I forgot think, about it for 10 do minutes. You think, do least. you think it's because it's usually so dominated by arrogant, you know, womanising men? Arrogant, womanising cis able-bodied men yeah Yeah. so this book i think it's fair to say has a take that we haven't experienced before on the spy genre uh does it mean that it is the only book out there don't know because unsurprisingly we haven't read every single fucking book in the world uh because you know wait what like what (laughs) and i wonder how long it would take there must be a stat out there for how long it would take you to read every single book because it must be like 485,000 years or something insane um anyway we were talking about the way some of the characters interact with the other characters earlier. What do you think about the way that certain relationships were shown in this book? Because I think for me, one thing this book did really well was show a range of different relationships between the the, the, the main characters. So you had like mother daughter relationship with Kit and Jesse. You had, there was a romantic relationship between Paulina and Jesse. You had friendships, but they weren't straightforward friendships. They were like, there were different dynamics between Ahala and Jesse than between Caitlin and Jesse and also sometimes you're like is Caitlin really her friend is Caitlin just like like people were friends but they weren't let's hang out and have rosé friends like it was I thought there was a really good range and I don't know what you guys thought and I'd be interested to find out I agree I think that's a really good observation actually it's so rare that so many relationships and complex relationships but done in a way that isn't I know we criticised it for not having too much detail, but still being able to bring that across was quite clever. So, yeah, I agree. And the fact that, you know, Jessie works with her mother, but yet the maternal figure, if you think of a maternal figure in this, you think of, oh, I think of Peggy. I don't yeah. think of Kit. Mm. And that Definitely. that relationship, having no side-by-side, was, was really quite intriguing. And, and maybe yeah, that's definitely. why they chose to give her this such weird, not weird job, but like introducing a character that's next pop star, because they were <laughs> like, they want someone that is glamorous, but also is hardworking, who understands themselves and the world that is still absent. And actually, like comparing comparing to Killing Eve, again, like even though I was like, no, it's not the same. This character who heads up the organisation her relationship with her daughter is quite similar actually that's maybe where the comparison comes from she's always put work first she's always traveled and she doesn't know how to communicate with her daughter that's not just 
black and white. So yeah, so so maybe that's also where the similarities come from. I thought the the myriad of different relationships was brilliant, and I thought that it it added to what made this book good and believable and felt authentic and realistic in real life. Like the the way that the relationships were constructed is what made this book not a cookie cutter YA book or a cookie cutter spy book or a game of diversity mad libs. It, it is what the, the way that the relationships were constructed was what really fleshed that out. As the book progresses, it's very clear that those relationships are not all as black and white as as Jesse thinks they are, despite because you know Jesse has a lot to learn, and I thought that that is like a really good, as I said, a really good way to flesh out. Also, really pivotal to what makes this, I think, a good example of YA literature because that is the kind of thing that you are supposed to discover as you you know go through your teenage years. That those are that is the exact period where you start to discover the different ways that relationships. Or like in an ideal world, the different way that relationships can be complex because it is more than just you're my friend because you're in my class. It is there's there's you have friendships and betrayals and weird sexual feelings and I like you but I also hate you and I don't like you but I also respect you and and that's that's the age that you really start to wrestle with that I think um, or for most people start to wrestle with that for the first time. For me, the relationship is one of the most powerful bits of the book, which is yep. good because, and I think that's what made me like it above other spy fillers, because as I mentioned, I tend to be quite character driven in a lot of books. And I think particularly with the um, Halla and Jesse relationship, it was reflecting on it. I think it was really refreshing, albeit, yes, problematic possibly if you dig into it. The way that when there was the suspicion around the nature of that relationship and Hannah's behaviour when she was, you know, in the phone calls about her brother and trying to get him into the country, but that wasn't that wasn't clear. Like that suspicion in a friendship, when you see that played out a lot in literature, is usually usually posited as this bitch is trying to steal my man. Like that mm. kind of yeah. arc. And I I've been trying to think of examples where that hasn't been the case. It's either my man or my job. And this was a way that that questioning of a relationship was done in a way that I'd never seen before. Especially in YA books. But I think the important thing with all of these relationships, even though they were, they were fraught and at, at times and not not as straightforward as you might think, all of the women in this had each other's backs in like ultimately when it came down to it. And I think it managed to do that in a way that wasn't full-on Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> like, it wasn't reductive. It was nuanced, and I think that was really good. So this book, as we pointed out at the start, because it's the same date as Alex and Kim's Wine, came out in 2019. Uh, the film adaptation, or it was being optioned for a film adaptation, um, that was announced in the same year. As of now, I don't know whether that is still stuck in development land, where obviously so many options go to die but don't usually have a pandemic in the middle so we may yet see the Athena protocol. So that brings us to the end of the show this week but before we go we have a book to rate which in case you dropped off in the middle was the Athena protocol by Shamim Sarif and we also have some wines to go to as well. So Kim. Uh, so the book I on Goodreads I gave it three. Um, I think it's I think it's a 3.5 grapes. I enjoyed it more than I expected I found it entertaining I thought that it tackled difficult things 
with a bit of nuance. Um, it, for me, I it, it wasn't my cup of tea going in, so it was it was up against a battle, and also I really did not love um, the character, the the protagonist, which for my style of reading is not always my favourites, but I, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to someone to read. So 3.5 grapes for me for the Athena Protocol. And as for the wine, uh, which was, again, the Clock Tower Pinot Noir 2019 off of MS, I I don't want to be unfair to it because I don't think that I'm in the right mood for this wine. It didn't pair well with the book, which is a separate issue. Um, I think I'm going to give it also a 3.5 in the sense that I think that it's a perfectly good wine. It's probably really nice on like a different, not muggy, not in a room with all the windows shut and all the doors shut kind of day. Um, But it was £12. And that is a thing that I dealt with. Um, So yeah, I'm going to give 3.5 grapes across the board. 3.5 grapes of the book, The Athena Protocol. 3.5 3.5 grapes for the Clock Tower Pinot Noir from MS. I am going to. I'll start with the book. I'll stick by what I said at the beginning, even after our little delve into it. I think it was. I enjoyed it. There was nothing that I strongly disagreed with, there was nothing that I felt particularly like connected to. I think it's worth a three more than a 2.5 because I, the fact that I literally devoured it in a night and still felt like I'd gone on a journey and still felt like I had some kind of narrative that was interesting. I think it deserves a three. I'm going to give the wine slightly less. It's just, it's very basic. I've, pretty much finished it but I haven't necessarily enjoyed it massively like Kim said it is a warm night though so if you ask me by a log fire in December it might be a different story but I'm going to give it a two and for my part I'm going to give the book a 4.5 I think I gave it a five on Goodreads once you got past the first uh, chapter or two it was very fast-paced a lot happened it did a lot for a genre that I wouldn't have considered reading otherwise uh it had good character relationships and yeah i i thought it was really good so 4.5 and then the wine which for me was again uh, the 19 crimes red wine (laughs) yeah it's fine i've still got some left which is rare at the end of a podcast so fine three blackberries immediate blackberries (laughs) I'd be interested to know how that compares to when you rated it originally. I'll check it on the show notes. And speaking of the show notes, you can find them on our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. We're also on social media. We're on Twitter at GrapeCulturePod. We're on Instagram at GrapeCulturePodcast. And we'll be back in a month's time with a new episode for you, talking more things, wine and feminism and pop culture. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.